0: The big secret about this podcast is it's really a uh, Game of Thrones podcast and we've just been leading (laughs) up to this conversation. This is the Still Talking
1: Podcast, our reverent distilling industry podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian. And today we have a guest, Eli Aguilara, VP at uh, one of the senior VPs at Total Wine & More. Eli, thank you for joining us. I know it was kind of last minute and I appreciate you jumping on with us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, appreciative that you reached out to me uh, late last week. And so uh, super excited to chat with all of the wonderful entrepreneurs out there. Great.
1: Well, and don't let that drop fool you. We are complete uh, jackasses on this podcast. Uh, We have a really good time, but we do not take ourselves seriously, but we do take you seriously. So it balances out really well. Sounds good. (laughs) Uh, So Eli, uh, just for listeners, so they have kind of a better idea. How long have you been at Total Wine & More now?
2: Yeah, uh, this summer I will have completed six years uh, at Total Wine & More uh, previous to this. I started my career uh, at Walmart in stores, Uh, came up the ranks from cart pusher, eventually became a super center store manager down in Texas, Uh, and then went and got my uh, grad school degree then was at uh, Procter & Gamble selling Don Dishwashing Liquid and Pampers Diapers, um, which was uh, a lot of fun, but not (laughs) as much fun as selling uh, alcohol beverages.
1: (laughs) yeah I could understand that uh, so you've 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 been on the speaking circuit on the spirit side before too you've done uh, seminars and you were one of the keynotes at ACSA a few years ago. Uh, I believe I know you've met Colton and you may have met Zeno uh, but uh, we you just- I know everyone's probably tired of talking about it but the only thing really in the news right now is what's happening in the world. Uh can you and we really want to talk to you because we know kind of what's going on on the producer side with coronavirus shutdowns, kind of how precarious it is for everyone, but can you kind of fill us in on what's going on on with the the retailer side
2: because we don't have as much interaction there.
3: We heard people are buying a lot of booze.
2: Yeah, no, a a lot of purchasing happening right now. And so uh, we're we're here to serve ultimately uh, and uh, hopefully bring a little bit of normalcy to um, this crazy environment. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of things going on at Total Wine & More. I I can spend uh, hours and hours and hours talking to you guys about uh, some of the things uh, that uh, we're doing. But let, let me start off with, first and foremost, safety. And so uh, we were able to install a safety protocol very, 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 very quickly. Uh, And so what does this safety protocol look like? We have a 48-page document that we sent out to our stores uh, that uh, showcases uh, everything that we are doing uh, to ensure the safety of not only our team members, uh, but more importantly, uh, and most importantly, the safety of everyone walking into the store. Team members, vendors, suppliers, customers, uh, ensuring that uh, everyone is in a safe environment. And so that looks like uh, now we have mandatory gloves for all of our team members. Uh, We pushed a ton of sanitizer into the stores. We have uh, shields uh, in the registers in order to uh, ensure that uh, we minimize uh, exposure for uh, that last point uh, in the store where Uh, you can't have six feet of space. Um, Masks and and thermometers, we have now mandatory masks for um, our uh, employees and our uh, vendors that are coming into the stores. And then finally, we're checking people's temperatures um, as they're coming in and asking them questions about uh, health and making sure that they're healthy as they're coming into the store. Um, This is for our, um, our team members and our Uh, suppliers and vendors again. Not for our customers, but in some states, some states are requiring uh, that masks are mandatory. Uh, The other thing that we have is we have a uh, wellness captain um, who is responsible uh, for making sure that all of the areas inside of the store are safe uh, and clean uh, and that uh, we have uh, executed proper distancing uh, and making sure that our team members are are, uh, abiding by that. So, lots and lots and lots of work going on. Uh, We even have uh, from our headquarters, um, anytime we are viewing uh, and doing spot checks of stores to make sure that they are um, doing the proper social distancing, we will make phone calls just to make sure that everyone is setting a proper example. Uh, And so we're we're going across the board, but uh, ultimately safety uh, is first. One of those things with safety has to do with our customers. And One thing that our customers were really asking us for um, and what this moment necessitated was curbside pickup. And so uh, when um, the initial shock uh, happened in the end of March, uh, we decided in a matter of days to launch curbside pickup. And within two weeks of uh, the uh, president's announcement to Um, when we launched the curbside pickup program, uh, we were able to, uh, broadly, uh, broadcast a very, very big digital program, uh, in a matter of two weeks across all, uh, 180 of our stores, uh, which was a monumental achievement. And, uh, so we've done a ton of things. How many states are you in now, Eli? Yeah, 24, uh, 24 states. And how many
0: stores and roughly how many employees, Eli?
2: 205, a uh, little over 8,000 employees. Uh, and that's another great point. Uh, we were able to uh, hire over 2,000 temps um, oh. during the timeframe. And uh, these 2,000 temps are coming to us from um, industries that have been shocked. Uh, a lot of people coming to us from on-premise, uh, those bartenders and waiters and waitresses that uh, we're working in on-premise establishments and coming to work with us. It's uh, people who lost their jobs. Um, and so um, we are excited about the fact that we were to beef up our uh, hiring in order to serve the needs of the community.
1: So are those temps primarily there just because the demand has shot up so much, or is it to fulfill those safety standards?
2: Uh, It's a multitude of reasons. Uh, A a few uh, things that uh, have occurred. Number one, um, with the amount of digital business growing, and we'll we'll talk about digital a lot during this conversation. As digital grows, um, it requires a lot more labor. Why does it require more labor? It requires picking. And so, you need to pick every single order. Uh, And I'll I'll give you an example. One of our stores... uh, uh, in uh, the East Coast, in uh, the Mid-Atlantic, uh, is experiencing 400 to 500 web orders a day. And Whoa. in order to uh, ensure that we are picking all of those orders for a store, you need more labor. You need more, more team members. Uh, and um, also, whenever your sales are spiking the way that they are, we also need to have the staff to ensure that the shelves are filled. Uh, And that the cleanliness standards are held up. Uh, So all of that work, that extra work that we now have on our plates means that we need more people. And so some of those temps will eventually become permanent hires. Uh, And um, we are just uh, tracking on a day-to-day basis how our sales are doing and what our needs are going to be. We're forecasting what's going to happen in the future. Um, Of course, right now, it's really hard to crystal ball the future, Uh, but... uh, we, we absolutely believe that we're going to need more people in order to execute uh, what we have to do right now inside of the stores. Have you had any
0: issues with supply chains, like getting stuff into your store? Because I know, you know, from our end as producers, certain things, there's restrictions just because of logistics of people not being able to get into states and those kind of things. Has, have you have been any restrictions on that? You know, you mentioned keeping your shelves stocked. Has there been yeah. challenges with that?
2: There's absolutely been challenges. And I, I think when you have the spikes that we had, um, it's really hard for any supply chain to keep up with it. Let me give you the example of uh, this past week, Cinco de Mayo, that happened uh, just one week ago today on uh, on Cinco de Mayo. We had such big spikes in tequila and ready to drink. And uh, fulfilling ready to drink was really, really hard. Who would have... Uh, forecasted that ready-to-drink margarita mixes uh, would have grown 600%. Uh, You just can't forecast that. And uh, so those kinds of of numbers and and the the size of the growth means that you can't keep up. Another example, the 1.75 liter uh, business. I think a lot of uh, suppliers uh, out there didn't anticipate the growth in 1.75 liters and didn't have the bottles uh and the dry goods in order to be able to uh, fulfill the needs of the industry so right now there's a lot of one leaders that are coming into our stores uh, because that one liter capacity that was fulfilling the on-premise is no longer fulfilling the on-premise and so uh, we've decided to lean into one liter business and so it's all of those puts and calls uh, that we're having to make uh in order to ensure that we're in stock of the merchandise that we need. But yes, we've absolutely tried to uh, keep in stock. Uh, but sometimes you just can't um, when you have the spikes that you have uh, and we're experiencing in the industry right now.
3: Do you guys have a good feel of you know, the trends in terms of craft versus macro sales?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, both of them are doing extremely well. Now, the ones that are doing the best right now are the well-known brands. Um, people are going to brands that they trust. Uh, and brands that they have experience with. But um, there is also a very strong movement towards craft and local uh, and supporting uh, their local uh, businesses. I was just talking with my brother-in-law in in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and he told me that uh, he is pivoting to exclusively drinking St. Louis uh, beer uh, because he wants to uh, support his local community. Uh, and is that Budweiser? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> no, <we're talking> <laughs> not not Budweiser, but uh, he is exclusively drinking local craft brewers and local craft distillers. He's pivoted all of his consumption to that, and I think a lot of consumers out there are being um, very uh, knowledgeable about and intentional about who they're going to support. And so I think this trend is going to actually pick up. Uh, at, at first, the first few. Uh, Weeks uh, was what I trust, what I know. And I think now it's going to move into more intentional what I care about, what I want to support. Uh, And so I think that that's the trajectory that consumers are going to take.
1: I was just going to say, I've been getting a few reports on the wholesaler side that obviously there's a lot of consolidation that's gone on before and more that's likely going to go on now. But on the wholesaler side, I've been hearing reports that they're starting to step away from some of the smaller brands focusing on big producers, just because they don't know how this is going to shake out. They don't want to waste resources on maybe some of these smaller brands that may not survive. And I want to know how that affects, you know, retailers and specifically you at Total Wine, because I know Total Wine works a lot and really courts smaller producers and local businesses to fill out, you know, your stores in those individual states. Do you have plans to deal with maybe some of those shortfalls or is that something you've had to look at as well as kind of change your buying habits?
2: Oh, we're changing our buying habits across the board and we're beefing things up uh, and uh, chasing all of these uh, local um, items, whether it be Uh, Craft or local to a a state or region. Uh, And so uh, we are absolutely pushing uh, to maintain uh, in stocks. We also keep a track of all of our in stock reports uh, and are diligent in talking with um, the uh, wholesalers about that. Uh, We're not going to slow this down. This is actually one of our points of differentiation as a company, um, which is. Uh, We want to be a store of the community. We want to be local. We want to support the the entrepreneur. Um, And uh, we want to be a venue where uh, consumers can come and shop for those items. Uh, We have also heard the opposite, where uh, very large grocers or mass retailers are thinking of consolidating their shelves. We want to do the opposite. We want to continue to to, uh, support uh, either the local uh, craft distilleries or the local craft brewers. Uh, and uh, we're actually going to uh, be featuring a lot of those uh, items moving forward in uh, our marketing, uh, because we do believe that uh, supporting local uh, is only going to make the uh, economy stronger. Uh, and that that is uh, one of the bedrocks that, that we strongly believe in at Total Wine & More.
3: So I was going to ask, I know you said you don't want to predict even two
0: weeks in the future, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but predict two weeks in the future.
3: <laughs> what are you guys predicting for O&D? Oh,
2: O&D is um, going to be very interesting. Um, and so uh, a few things that we're having conversations about, and by the way, none of this is set in stone. There's um, debates that are happening inside of the company um, on, uh, and inside of every, any company across the industry. A, a few things. One, Um, We believe that metering is most likely going to still be a thing at that time. And when I speak about metering, what I mean is limiting the amount of people coming into a store uh, and ensuring that you can maintain proper social distancing. Uh, And if you're going to meter uh, those uh, last few weeks of the year in December, that means that you're going to actually probably limit some of the sales. Uh, And so that's something that we're going to have to take into account. Digital, remember I was talking to you about digital. So how do you house 500 uh, digital orders that are coming in on a daily basis? You have to eliminate spaces in the store that you normally would use for other things. So for instance, our classroom, we might not use our classroom for traditional uh, education because people aren't able to sample right now. Uh, We might end up having to transition that into a space that houses all of our digital uh, orders. Um, that's something that we're going to be looking at. Um, how do you space and how do you, uh, have platforms and displayable quantities inside of the store? You might need to relax that. Uh, You might not be able to have as much inventory, uh, in the store and you're going to have to have more frequent deliveries. Those are things that we're talking about. Now, again, all of this is hypothesis right now. Um, nothing set in stone, uh, but those are things that we're thinking about. And then finally, the consumer, how is the consumer going to act? If they're not going to as many uh, events or entertaining as much as um, they were, um, that changes uh, the game also. Uh, While uh, entertaining might not happen uh, with a larger group, you probably will still be doing uh, the virtual happy hours of the world or virtual uh, holiday celebrations, virtual Thanksgiving celebrations, virtual uh, Christmas or Hanukkah celebrations. I think that that um, is absolutely something that can happen. So while uh, the traditional uh, sitting down, having multiple bottles of of, uh, wine and spirits and cocktails might not occur uh, in a uh, festive large group gathering, we still think that the occasion itself of celebrating with others, albeit virtually, uh, is still going to be a thing. And so um, there's going to be a balancing act.
3: And now you have the benefit of everyone has to buy a bottle to participate in the virtual world. Yeah, that actually does help.
1: <laughs> well, and I imagine that drives too, like you were talking about, Eli, the surge in RTDs. Because those were already really growing at a pretty impressive pace. But now that people can't go to bars and they can't have a gin and tonic or a Moscow mule, uh, that's that seems logical to me that it would jump up like
2: that. 600% is insane, though. Yeah, surgeon, RTDs, but not only RTDs, just think about uh, so one other area that um, has been very interesting to us is miscellaneous, which is our vermouth aperitif amaro uh, section, uh, which uh, has seen the the highest differential in growth between pre- and post-COVID, and uh, why? It's uh, products that people weren't traditionally using. They weren't making their Negronis at home. They would go and get their Negroni at a restaurant or a bar. They weren't making their Manhattans or their um, old fashions at home. They're now making them at home. And so that's a category that has seen a resurgence. Another thing that um, um, I've been hearing in in talks with either customers or uh, employees is that a lot of people are doing batch cocktails at home. They'll batch a full cocktail. a cocktail of Negroni for their whole week and then just pour it out of their carafe um, or whatever vessel they have. Uh, and so that is uh, something else that's happening is that people are batching for themselves rather than batching for a party, batch for themselves and pour out on a nightly basis. That's, that's something else that we're seeing. And uh, giving customers the tools and the education uh, in order to make batching uh, a easier process is something that we're going to be focusing on uh, moving forward. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really is.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, you talked a lot about curbside. I was curious about direct to consumer. Uh, I know you have websites where people can order and direct. You know, you can direct ship to people within certain states. What's that looking like for you now and in the future? Is that grown? Is that something you'd like to see improve?
2: Yeah, uh, all across the board, digital has grown, and so inside of digital, we have different. Uh, things that we are doing: we're doing in-store pickup, so you, you come into the store, walk into the store, and you you get your order picked up. Uh, curbside pickup: you come to the store, you pull up, you text us, we come out with your order, we put it in your trunk. Uh, Total Wine and More delivery, where we have our own trucks delivering. Um, external delivery, which is things like Instacart shipped, uh, Drizzly. Uh, and partnering with all of these folks. And then there's shipping. Uh, And shipping is only, uh, for the most part, something that we do on the wine business. We're legal. We're not able to ship spirit um, legally. And so we're not doing uh, shipping of spirits. We're only shipping of wine. Uh, But the other four businesses are very healthy businesses. Um, With curbside pickup being the dramatic um, uh, game changer for us uh, and something that... Uh, we're really excited about because it, it meets the need of the moment. Uh, you're afraid as a, a consumer, some consumers are afraid of going into stores. So them just coming over, driving up, uh, putting up their license up to the window at the car, uh, and then having uh, someone drop it off is a special experience. I had a, a team member of mine, um, and uh, she has a 94-year-old uh, grandfather-in-law. Uh, out in uh, Mountain View, uh, California, and uh, he was really afraid to get out of the store, but he wanted his boxed wine, and so uh, he ordered his, his boxed wine, uh, pulled up into our store, um, didn't have to roll down his window, just showed his license. Uh, they throw the card in the, uh, the the boxes of wine in his trunk. He asked them to wipe it down. They wipe it down for him. Uh, they closed the Uh, trunk and he's off and he is so happy. Uh, And so that service and uh, standing up that service in a matter of two weeks was a monumental game changer for us. And we're really excited about the fact that we can provide a real safe service to our customers. Man, I want to bottle up
0: that guy's tenacity, right? Right? He's 94 driving to a store to get his boxed wine. That is dedication.
3: Boxwine right. is the original batch cocktail. Damn straight.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: Eli, so, you know, you, you pivot, we were talking about all this digital. Did you have to upgrade all your technology to do that? Or did you guys already have things in place that you could accommodate this?
2: Yeah, the bones were already there. Um, now, a few things that we had to do is we had to beef up um, server capacity uh, because, you um, Making sure that you're not crashing uh, is critically important. We've heard of many grocers across the country uh, that are having their websites crash uh, because they can't keep up with the volume. Uh, And so with us, uh, we already were prepared for that. We only had uh, two days uh, that first week uh, where we were struggling because we didn't know And in a matter of two days, we were able to make all of the investments in order to ensure that that didn't happen again, uh, that we didn't run into issues. And we were able to fix that uh, fairly quickly. Uh, But yeah, the bones were already there. The curbside pickup though, was something that we weren't planning to do until late 2021. Um, It was on our roadmap, uh, but we didn't have the bones built. We didn't have the infrastructure ready. And we had to stand that up in a matter of two weeks, which we did. Uh, So that is my shining example of uh, how uh, nimble uh, and quick we were uh, to the needs of the consumer.
3: That's interesting that you had already had it in the plans, though. Was it just you thought it would be a a great sort of side product for your your service for your customers? Correct.
1: Correct you mentioned before that you can't do tastings now, and I know that was a big part of kind of what made the Total Wine store stand out.
2: What are you doing to adapt to that new reality? Yeah. Um, so right now, um, a few things that um, we are doing, uh, is where we're, we're going to start figuring out how to handle virtual, uh, classes and virtual tasting. So that's a territory that we're going to be pushing aggressively on. Um, uh, one thing that we did a long time ago before uh, COVID was that we had really good, strong reviews on most of our products uh, that highlight uh, uh, notes and highlight uh, what you're uh, going to expect, highlighting uh, re- um, results like uh, gold medal awards or ratings. Uh, and so Many of those things were already in our infrastructure, uh, which uh, made made us uh, be a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, so that is going to be uh, part of it. But nothing truly replaces a tasting. Nothing truly replaces a owner coming in and talking about uh, their brand to uh, a customer. Uh, so all of those things, I, I don't think are ever going to be able to be fully replaced. Uh, but our store team members being in the stores talking about the brands, that's still things that we can do. Uh, We can still talk about brands. We can still talk about stories. We can still uh, educate uh, our consumers. And so that's something that we're going to re-pivot back to. Now that we um, have figured out how to operate under this new normal, we need to go back to uh, what made us great, which is selling uh, stories, selling brands, selling um exciting products uh that uh entrepreneurs are bringing to our stores Uh, all of those are things that we need to uh pivot back to
0: yeah so eli you talked about metering people and limiting some of like uh, displays early and so how do you see you know branding and marketing evolving both on your end how you guys execute it to drive sales and how on the producers would invest their money in retail environment
2: Yeah. Um, So investing in the retail environment is going to be a a little bit more of a challenge. Um, And so all of the dollars that you spent on sampling, all the dollars that you spent on uh, sampling events, on getting into on-premise locations and doing all of that work uh, is going to be pivoting towards um, digital investments, making sure that your digital environment is strong. Uh, making sure that your stories that you're putting on the digital environment are strong, making sure that your cocktail story uh, in the digital environment is strong, uh, making sure that you have the right visuals on our web page, making sure that you have uh, the right review on our web page. All of those are going to be that much more important. We are in the middle right now of hiring uh, about 15 people uh, that are going to be uh, part of our digital organization. Uh, Eight of those people uh, are going to be part of our digital merchandising organization. And inside of digital merchandising, we're going to be investing a lot of time in uh, making our experience uh, great. Uh, Just like we are an experiential retailer in the stores, how do we become an experiential retailer in the digital environment? We're somewhat there uh, and we are somewhat a leader in the industry. It's hard for us to say that we're a leader when we know that we can do so much better. Uh, And so uh, that's where we're going to be spending a ton of time, romancing product, uh, showcasing stories, uh, showcasing ways to uh, use the product. All of those are things that uh, we're going to need to spend a lot of time and investment on uh, educating our consumers.
3: You know, kind of building on that point, what would you suggest a a new producer who now maybe... Plan was to be sort of bar centric, but now obviously needs to pivot. How do they approach you? What are the best tips and tricks besides? Yeah. Is, is it just building kind of the best digital store you can, or you
2: so know? digital is one of the areas? But come on in to our store and go and talk to uh, our service team members that are hanging out in the spirits area that are selling to our customers, uh, and give us your sixteen uh, second pitch on. Uh, your story, what makes you special, uh, and um, how you got into the business and uh, why you got into the business. All of those stories attract um, our our service team members who will then uh, ultimately translate those stories to our customers. So you can still come in and do that uh, level of education. And I I encourage um, everyone to do that. But don't uh, the one thing that I ask is don't spend all of a sudden 15 minutes with an employee. They still have a job to do. <laughs> uh, and that's why, I was, that's why I was saying come in, you can do a 60-second pitch, but um, give us a little bit of education. We, we, we love to learn about brands and love to learn about how they got into the business and uh, what um, makes them special. Those are all things that you can still do.
3: And I assume we should be heavily investing in shelf displays. <laughs> makes sense right
2: <laughs> yeah shelf displays and um, just showcasing your 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 product making sure that um the words on that uh, aid up that uh, small piece of paper are the right words to articulate your brand and if they aren't um making sure that uh, you articulate to us what you're hoping um that brand uh, should uh say all of those are things that we are more than happy to help you with there's a um, link, an email link that you can use, new items at totalwine and more, or totalwine.com, new items at totalwine.com. And if you have uh, or want to change something, uh, whether it be uh, your label is wrong or um, what we're saying is wrong, uh, you can share that and um, our team will uh, ensure that the right review and the right label is up.
0: Eli, you know, along those lines about merchandising, and you said you you eloquently phrased it as you're being nimble. How how has it impacted you? You talk about expanding, but You're going to add more, which is great. Uh, but how is it changing? So, you know, we talked about OND and in the summer. I, I imagine in normal times, non-pandemic times, you're not selling a lot of bourbon cream in July. But <laughs> what does that look like now? And how's that? How has the pandemic impacted those kind of things? Like where where you're placing things in the store for the customer
2: in these, you know, different non-routine times. Yeah, um, we're absolutely right now putting items on the sales floor that we traditionally wouldn't put on the sales floor. Um, And why are we doing that? To make it easy for them to get in and get out um, and not have to uh, find a product with the amount of sales that we're experiencing on um, items like, uh, Jameson, Tito's, Jack Daniels, all of these large mega brands, um, we traditionally wouldn't put them on the uh, sales store. They would be on the shelf and then we would replenish the shelf uh, constantly. Uh, but given uh, the current environment uh, and the amount of sales that those are experiencing, we can't stock the shelf during the day uh, as often. And so uh, the top call it 100 uh, items in a store might get a different treatment than before. Um, but uh, moving forward as we start to learn a lot more about sales patterns have enough uh, team members in the store to stock have enough store team members in the store to meter uh, do all the things that we need to do uh, we're going to get much better and uh, pivot to a much more normal uh, merchandising standard Uh, but that's that's what we need to get to eventually we're not there yet Um, now Uh, Predicting the future. Um, And so you you were talking about this summer. What are areas that we're going to be focusing a lot in this summer? Ready to drink. Ready to drink is easy. When you come in, you pick up cans or you pick up your bottle that you pour out. Uh, That's going to be something that we'll invest in. Um, Before, I used to spend a lot of uh, space uh, on uh, categories that we were uh, our, our sipping categories. Uh, right now, one of the trends that is occurring is that uh, people are moving more to mixing categories than in sipping categories. Um, both of them are growing, uh, but before sipping categories were growing faster than mixing categories. Now mixing categories are growing faster uh, than sipping categories. So what are those categories? Those are categories like gin, vodka, tequila, uh, rum, uh, vermouths, aperitifs, amaros. Uh, categories like whiskey uh, which were uh, the bell of the ball before um, are now uh, growing still really fast but just not as fast as these mixing categories and so um, we're pivoting and making sure that we are supporting those mixing categories appropriately but before if you would have walked into a total wine and more uh, you would have probably seen a lot more whiskey on the shelves or a lot more whiskey on the end caps or a lot more whiskey on the floor um, but now we, we need to make sure that we have those categories, that consumers are coming in and looking for us uh, and making sure that we're uh, stocked appropriately on.
0: Right. And I bet you it's pretty interesting that you see, you know, at a company your size, I'm assuming that there is some kind of analytics applied to this. So, you know, for every person that buys a six pack of RTDs, they might buy a whatever, you know, Grey Goose vodka. And you can kind of see some of those trends. I imagine they have changed during the pandemic and what people are getting now and they're going to be ever changing. So it'd be nice to see. I'd like to have you back on at some time and just say, hey, look, this is how it evolved. And this is the way purchases are happening now.
2: No, the, uh, absolutely. I'm here to support um, uh, the uh, distillers out there. We are, are strong believers in craft. Um, I've been a believer in craft for years. Uh, and it was about uh, four years ago that uh, I met you at the uh, ACSA conference, and uh, we're the only retailer uh, that is ever at the ACSA. One of my favorite questions uh, whenever I'm there is the craft distiller coming up to me and saying, why are you here? <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, I think it's a fair question, but at the same time, why are you not there? Why why is a retailer not there to uh, support uh, the local small craft distillers? Um, It's just it's such a strong point of differentiation that is growing the consumers care about local. And so um, why would we not be there to support local? Um, My plan was to be at ADI this year in New Orleans. Unfortunately, that got cut short. Hopefully I'll be able to make it to uh, New Orleans soon. But uh, um, yeah, we are strong believers in craft and entrepreneurs. Uh, We leaned into the craft beer business well before the craft beer business was the bell of the ball. Uh, and uh, we are strong believers in uh, driving um, the selection uh, and the um, the beauty that is uh, entrepreneurship. Um, I spent my day today in uh, three different meetings with uh, small craft uh, suppliers, and a, yesterday with uh, another two. But how many meetings did I have with very large suppliers? I had a few, but not as many as I had with. Um, The small guys. Why? We want to uh, support uh, these small guys. They're innovating in unique, exciting ways Um, and coming up with uh, some interesting ways of looking at uh, the categories and and showcasing uh, new ways of distilling. And so that's all something that we want to support uh, in our stores.
0: That's great. And you know, Tito's was a
2: small guy once too, right? Like, so you never know. we were small. We were a small retailer when I joined the company six years ago. Um, we are now um, two and a half times larger than uh, we were when I joined the, the company. So we're, we're growing, uh, but we were a small guy too. Um, and not many people know that we came out of um, Pennsylvania and... Uh, Delaware as a one store retailer. And while yes, we're now a very large retailer, we we started off small and we don't want to lose that. That's why that moved curbside pickup shows the entrepreneurial um, speed that we want to do. We we don't want to be the behemoth that can't pivot and move quickly. So on behalf of the uh, distilling community, I just want to say, Sorry,
0: that was someone was so presumptuous to ask, what are you doing here? You should have said, screw you. What
2: are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually do love the question because I, I, it, it is a shock, right? All of a sudden you see a retailer there and you're like, why? Why are you here? Um, and we want people to know that we're going to support them. We are going to support them and we're going to give them ideas of how to make their brands. I come from a brand building background. Um, That's what I did in a former life and I'm still a brand builder. I think about what is our point of differentiation as a company? What is our point of differentiation for the consumer? How can we make the best possible experience for our consumers uh, that is in a differentiated way that drives tons and tons of value? That's ultimately branding. Every, Every single word that I use right now is brand building. We're all brand builders. Uh, whether you're building a uh, your craft whiskey or your craft gin or your craft vodka, or building uh, a retail environment uh, that showcases um, the differentiation uh, that you provide to the consumer rather than going to a very large grocer or a very large mass retailer or a very la- large club retailer. Uh, we want to be able to showcase what makes us special, what makes us different, and uh, that's ultimately what's going to make us win. But I'm a brander at heart and I will support the branding community in any way I can.
1: I, I have one more question for you, Eli. Based on your retail and brand background, do you have any advice for these small producers that honestly, a lot of them are looking down the barrel of potentially being out of business in a couple months if things don't change or they don't adapt? What advice do you have for them?
2: Um, talk to other um Small uh, craft uh, suppliers. If there's anything that I recommend, talk to as many people uh, as possible in the craft distilling or the craft beer uh, space. Find out who's winning, how are they winning, what's what are they doing differently, um, and how can you replicate or learn from their model that will make you uh, successful. Um, so talk to as many entrepreneurs as possible. That would be my biggest piece of advice because. There Are some of them that are winning? Find out how they're doing that. So,
3: do uh, to it's great advice, pivot a little bit off uh, total wine and the pandemic. I read somewhere that you were behind two Super Bowl ads of Budweiser, yeah. And I, I must know what they are. Whoa, yes, why didn't we read
0: with this? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, so uh, I uh was able to do the puppy commercial. Um, so, oh my goodness, uh, puppy oh, yeah. love of mine, and Heroes Welcome, where uh, a veteran was coming back from um, military service and throwing him a parade. Uh, so those were um, the two Super Bowl commercials that I uh, was privileged enough to work on uh, when I was at Anheuser-Busch.
0: Damn, that is cool. gold! So you really pulled on the hard drinks there. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> How do you look at uh, Super Bowl advertisements now? Do you judge um, them very harshly?
2: I do. I do <laughs> I, I judge um, marketing very harshly. Um, and I was um, I, I I always look at it from the point of view of the consumer. Um, and that's really what mark great marketing is is um how do I provide value to the consumer? How do I provide a differentiation? How do I pull at um, the customer's heartstrings to make me Uh, And my brand, uh, a brand that they care about. Um, Why should I care? uh, And why should I share? Uh, That is ultimately the hallmarks of uh, great uh, advertising. And uh, I do uh, always, whenever I'm watching commercials, uh, I'll critique them. I'll call my wife over. My wife has actually gotten pretty tired of me calling her over and showing her commercials. (laughs) uh, i i I still geek out on that stuff Uh, i still look at uh, my uh don dishwashing liquid and i'll critique the don dishwashing liquid ads that come out now or the pampers ads that come out now or the charmin ads that come out now uh because i have very strong points of view if if there's anything that you will learn about me if uh uh, we ever get to chat is i i will have a point of view
3: in the spirits and and wine and beverage alcohol world, do you have a favorite campaign that you're seeing now? Is it John Jameson or I don't know who else is out there. I don't have.
2: Yeah, I, I think the folks at, um, um, Johnny Walker and with Diageo have done a fantastic job. Um, and, uh, the, the things that, uh, they do with, uh, spreading themselves, um, and making themselves relevant to, uh, the moment. Uh, there's a, uh, I I am a strong believer in two things. One, you have to get consumers um, uh, to be part of cultural moments. There are macro-cultural moments and there are micro-cultural moments. A macro-cultural moment is one that many people are going to celebrate. Memorial Day is a macro-cultural moment. Mother's Day is a macro-cultural moment. But then there's micro-cultural moments. uh, And how do you uh, insert yourself into micro-cultural moments Uh, and be relevant during those micro-cultural moments. Let me give you the example of uh, Women's History Month uh, in uh, March, or uh, the Game of Thrones premiere uh, that happened last year. Uh, Johnny Walker um, was relevant and tried to be relevant during those micro-cultural moments, uh, which um, makes them more relevant to the consumer, and uh, makes them more attractive to the consumer. So, Uh, if anything I I appreciate how they've innovated and how they've talked to the smaller moments rather than the larger moments
3: so you don't feel that by the end of the
0: Game of Thrones season that (laughs) bit them in the ass (laughs) (laughs) the best part of that season the big secret about this podcast is it's really a uh, Game of Thrones podcast and we've just been leading (laughs) up to this conversation (laughs) not not really. Um. <laughs>
2: yeah. Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is uh, it's, it's so such a passion point for a lot of people. Either you love it or you hate it. Right,
0: but either way you're talking about it. So to to prove your point of this, you know, they, they made a good move, right? Cuz no matter right. how you look at it, people were talking about Game of Thrones people and associated Well, they saw Johnny Walker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People talked about it. Yeah.
1: My takeaway is you still need more
0: puppies, more puppies in advertising. Yeah yeah more yeah really uh i like the uh brown foreman for the lynchburg tennessee the people that were making jack danielson yeah. had you know that small town feel and everything that really kind of it was funny i was at you know beam of centauri at the time and there was the actual people that were in the plant working when i interacted with them they were like man why are they doing that we should do that and i was like oh man this worked
2: this is marketing <laughs> yeah. working yeah <laughs> Yeah, it is absolutely marketing working. Marketing can work when uh, it um, pulls at the heartstrings again. And the reason that it pulled at the heartstrings in that moment was uh, you could see a little bit of yourself in that and the pride uh, that uh, the uh, people that were making Jack Daniels uh, had. And so it pulls at the heartstrings um, and having that Um, that care that uh, a consumer will then have for a brand uh, is meaningful. I did it when I was on Don Dishwashing Liquid. Don Dishwashing Liquid, did people really care about Don Dishwashing Liquid or Dishwashing Liquid in in general? No. Um, But when we were there, we decided to launch a campaign um, and I worked on a campaign called One Bottle Equals $1 to Save Wildlife. Uh, And we put cute little animals. We had that... Uh, tagline on it um, it happened the same year that uh, the Gulf oil spill happened yeah. um, and we launched that program literally three months before that oil spill uh, and I'll tell you what consumers cared about Don and since then Don has a dominant uh, share position in the market because of that one year wow. uh, so marketing programs can make a, a big move
1: all right guys you got any other questions for Eli?
2: yeah what do you wash your dishes with Don. I have a bottle. If you come into my office, uh, guys, if you come into my, bo- my office, I have a bottle of Don. And anytime I'm getting stressed out or I'm uh, having a really tough time, I'll pull my bottle of Don, I'll pop it open, take a sniff, and it brings me to a happy place. Oh, uh, I'll yeah. tell you what, you'll never see a bottle of Don in the same way. That's really sweet.
3: That's amazing
0: for an office, which
3: I imagine is filled with booze.
2: <laughs> yeah, you have all these wonderful
0: alcohols yeah. that were aged for long periods of time, and you yeah. pull out a bottle of Dawn. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Thank you, Eli. That was uh, it was fun, because this was probably the most professional uh, episode that we've ever done. Yeah. So it was kind of out of our comfort zone, probably. Uh, yeah. but it was, And we'll never do it again, except with you. It's not a perspective that we usually get. Uh, both professionalism and what exactly you do.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, we're 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 moving. We're moving. We're shaking, and we're gonna kick butt. So, um, we're we're excited about the craft um, movement, uh, and anything that you guys ever need, um, feel free to reach out to Brian and team. They have my contact information, and I'd be happy to talk with anyone. All right,
1: thank you, Eli. All right, love you, dummies.
2: All right.